when I think about decentralized finance and like what we're trying to achieve, right? We can't just kind of like iterate in our like small world. Like we have to like kind of innovate and push beyond it. I'm extremely bullish AMMs as like a market structure, but I think that there are also other market structures that like could, you know, exist in the future. And then I think we also want to discover them and have them be part of the Uniswap ecosystem. Bienvenue à Bankless. Bankless Nation, it is that time of year again. ETH CC the Ethereum Community Conference in Paris, France. All the teams, all the projects, all the protocols save some of their biggest announcements for ETHCC, except for the ones saving it for permissionless, of course. You might remember last year, ETHCC was marked by the time in which three teams all had the first ZK EVM. Yeah, that was that was a year ago at ECC. And today, the day I'm recording this, San Sunday, the day before ETHCC begins, we already have a massive release out of Uniswap Labs, a brand new protocol called Uniswap X, a new half of Uniswap that complements the rest of the Uniswap protocol, the yin to the yang of Uniswap's V1 through 4. Something brand new that fills in the picture of the Uniswap project. Seriously, the, the best way to describe this is that it's the other half of Uniswap. It's the half of Uniswap that is meant to make Uniswap the best place for swappers to swap tokens. Today on the show, we have Hayden Adams, the day before he gives his ETHCC main stage talk, releasing Uniswap X into the wild. What is Uniswap X? I'm glad you asked. Uniswap X is a protocol for competitive order execution in DeFi. It's a protocol that exists on top of Uniswap's one through four, as well as all the other liquidity sources in DeFi that ensures that the market produces the best possible order execution for anyone looking to swap tokens using Uniswap X. The idea behind Uniswap X is that it maximally protects swappers ahead of MEV extractors, ahead of arbitragers, ahead of front runners to ensure that the average Joe who just wants to swap some tokens gets the best possible deal that the market will allow for. In this episode we, with Hayden, we go under the hood of Uniswap X, what it is, how it works, why it's needed. So you'll learn about Uniswap X and how it uses a Dutch auction to maximize swapper returns. How this Dutch auction mechanism also ensures that MEV is maximally retained by swappers. Also, how Uniswap X massively reduces bridge risk and almost entirely abstracts away bridging altogether, freeing up capital to not have to be stuck inside of bridges where it's vulnerable. And also how Uniswap X formalizes a new kind of player in the game of making trading in DeFi maximally efficient. As a disclosure, of course, Uniswap is a sponsor of Bankless, and Bankless also does hold some Uni tokens, which you can see all the details of, as well as all of our other disclosures at bankless.com slash disclosures. So let's go and get talking to Hayden Adams all about this new Uniswap X protocol. But first, we're going to talk about our preferred centralized exchange for crypto in 2023, Kraken, because you got to get your fiat boomer bucks into the world of crypto somehow. So use Kraken, again, our preferred exchange in 2023. If you do not have an account with Kraken, consider clicking the link in the show notes to sign up with one today. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. 
Introducing Polygon 2.0, the value layer for the internet. For too long, the limitations of blockchains have held back app development and stifled user adoption. The internet allows anyone to create and exchange information. What's missing is a value layer that lets anyone exchange, store, and program value. That's where Polygon 2.0 comes in. Polygon Labs has unveiled a series of innovations that will radically alter the Polygon ecosystem and Web3 as a whole. By leveraging groundbreaking ZK innovations, such as Polygon ZK EVM, the next iteration of the best in class Plonky 2 proving system and a first of its kind ZK powered interoperability layer, Polygon 2.0 will give users and devs unlimited scalability and unified liquidity. Right now, there is a Polygon improvement proposal regarding a potential ZK powered upgrade of Polygon proof of stake. If approved, Polygon proof of stake would become a layer 2 ZK EVM Validium. So make your voice heard on this proposal by joining the Polygon Discord today. You have a chance to help the Polygon community give the internet the value layer it deserves. Bonjour, Bankless Nation. It is the Sunday before ETHCC, and I'm here with Hayden Adams, who has yet another announcement out of the Uniswap ecosystem. Hayden, what's going on, man? How you doing? Bonjour. Great to be here. First time in Paris um, and first time at ETHCC. Uh, but yeah, you know, Uniswap, we are keep, keep cranking out the hits. You know? <laughs> um, been pretty busy, hard at work. And you know, most recently, we announced Uniswap v4, mm -hmm. uh, which is new version of the Uniswap protocol. And... You know, being currently being built in public, and it you know basically makes it easier for you know people to create customized liquidity pools. We talked about this last mm -hmm. time, hooks, mm -hmm. and you know what you start to see is uh, there's this thing called the routing problem, and you know the, as AMMs um, you know get more uh, flexible and. Mm -hmm. Uh, basically what happens is routing gets harder over time. And routing was already actually pretty hard. So today we have hundreds of thousands of tokens. We have four versions of the protocol. We have multiple chains. Uh, we have you know, other liquidity sources. Mm -hmm. And then you also start to think about things like MEV and you know, trade-offs between slippage and latency and you know, best execution. And it starts to get really complicated. And definitely, the, you know, with Uniswap v4 uh, and hooks, it actually gets even you know, one step more complicated. Right. And you know, traditionally today, we've had a, we have a, our current like, open source, we call it the auto router, which optimizes routing across Uniswap v4, uh, v3, v2. Um, and you know, what we've been working on today, I guess a long buildup, is mm -hmm. what we call Uniswap X, mm -hmm. which is a Dutch auction-based protocol for routing uh, and, and aggregating liquidity. And you know we, we think it's really powerful, and we think it will help provide. It, it basically you know one you know improves prices, but also has a bunch of UX benefits. Uh, allows for gas free tr free trading. Mm -hmm. uh, you know no no slippage on failed transactions. Uh, it starts to internalize uh, you know some MEV, uh, and, and provides a bunch of other cool features. Uh, I don't know maybe I I don't know if I say the 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 next the other big one. Uh, well, we'll get to every yeah. single bit here, and, and for the Bankless listeners out there that aren't familiar, ETHCC is the place where you announce things, <laughs> is where announcements comes to be, and uh, like I said, this is the Sunday before, so we're going to be uh, seeing a slew of announcements coming out, and we're getting the first one here with Uniswap X, yes. which is this new thing. This is the thing that, that Uniswap is announcing, this thing called Uniswap X, but I want to actually set more of the stage, and you, you did yep. a good job, but I want to make sure that we are talking about the problem being addressed here. Yep. Uniswap is cool because every single token gets its own exchange. It gets, it gets its own pool. Same thing with Uniswap v2. v3 made it even more complex, if you will, with this concentrated liquidity. And then when we had Yuan not too long ago, like four weeks ago or something, about yep. Uniswap v4, that whole thing, Uniswap v4, was even more expressivity in Uniswap yep. pools, more complexity. And the really the big takeaway, I, I called it Uniswap's 
uh, hook-centric roadmap to yeah. p- go in parallel with Ethereum's roll-up-centric roadmap, where Ethereum's doing this thing where it's pushing complexity to the edges. It's like, yep. hey, roll-ups, you do all the execution stuff, and we will just settle. And Uniswap's kind of doing something similar with its hooks in Uniswap v4. It's, hey, there's a world of expressivity and features and different ways of constructing a pool that we want to enable Uniswap pool builders, AMMs, to be yep. able to build. And what you're, what you're, I think you're leading up to is like that's all the great. We have as much expressivity as we need in Uniswap pools, except we're still left with a bunch of complexity. Even though it's been pushed to the margins and Uniswap as a base is simple, the complexity still exists. There's so many pools now. Pools are different. There are different yeah. standards of pools, and so Uniswap X is a solution to harness all of that complexity, would you say? Yeah, and, I, and I'd say also, you know, when I was on last time, we talked about different ways of achieving decentralization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like the, the most pure form of decentralization is like automation. Um, and you should automate what you can automate and with, with immutable smart contracts. And then uh, the next level of, of de- you know, achieving decentralization, and we talk about this more in the lens of governance, but the, the next level is just like incentivization and then in markets. And if you have like a competitive market structure uh, where people are incentivized to do what they should do, then that's like more decentralized than something that needs to be governed, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the third tier. And for that, you achieve that through just like greater distribution of governance rights. Right. Um, and so what we're talking about here is taking, uh, you know, the, the routing, like we've, do, we've already talked about this in the context of the protocol, mm-hmm. uh, which is highly, highly decentralized. And what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, do that for the routing problem, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, you, you could, it's people t- uh, tend to think about like um, AMMs as, you know, both like routing, like both swapping and routing as well as liquidity provision all, you know, bundled together. Routing, swapping, and liquidity provision, well, yeah, three or, different things. Yeah, it, it, but like, or well, you know, swapping, you know, how do you route the swaps right. through liquidity? Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but people think of it as like, okay, you have the AMM and you try to find the best price through it. But I think, um, you know, you, you can start to unbundle them a bit, right? Because like, you know, today most interfaces have like different strategies for how they route uh, through mm-hmm. pools, right? And you know, there's there's various aggregators, and they're they're trying to like you know find every possible liquidity source. Um, you know, there's, there's the Uniswap UI, which today basically just like has like you know tries to discover across Uniswap pools. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what we're trying to do here with Uniswap X is create a competitive marketplace for routing. Mm-hmm. All right, you know, it's it's almost a way of of like decentralizing, you know, achieving more efficiency through decentralization, mm-hmm. right? Like the more people that can participate in in, in finding the best routes, um, discovering the best routes. Uh, discovering the best pools, you know, the, the better, uh, the, discovering all the different liquidity, you know, the, the better prices you can get right. um, in the long run if you can create a competitive marketplace. Right. And so what we're trying to do with Uniswap X is create a competitive marketplace for, you know, routing across liquidity. And that liquidity can be on-chain, uh, it can be off-chain. Uh, but yeah, that, that's essentially what we're trying to do here. Creating a competitive marketplace for routing. So with this explosion, like Uniswap, even at, you know, its earliest days in V1, was an explosion of pools. The cool thing yep. about Uniswap is you can list any token. And that only got furthered with Uniswap v2, v3, and v4. Now we have pools all over the place. And so the routing problem, maybe to define the routing problem, is that with all of these pools and all these different sources of liquidity, getting the best price for your trade is a computational problem because there's so many pools out there. And so what I think what you're trying to do with Uniswap X, a marketplace for competitive order routing is you're just giving that up to the market and saying, hey, market, instead of this one, instead of the Uniswap router being the thing that manages all of that complexity, you're just giving it up to the marketplace and allowing 
uh, routers to come in and service that role to make sure that traders and swappers get the best uh, liquidity, get the best offer. Yes, and, and I think the thing I'd add to that is that because we're you know doing this on a blockchain, it starts to touch on a bunch of other problems in, in complexity, right? We have like you know like you could you could do this in tradfi, like you, or like you could you could think if you thought think about purely in tradfi terms, and it's like just like optimizing you know routes. But we also deal with things like gas, mm -hmm. and then we deal with things like the fact that you know. Uh, validators exist, and they get to you know choose the order of transactions within a given block, right? And that starts to take us into you know what what people call. I guess I didn't. I only found out recently that it was rebranded from minor extractable value to maximal extractable <laughs> value. But then you know it takes you into like MEV territory, mm -hmm. uh, you know gas gas optimizations and, and latency, and there's all these other things mm -hmm. as well. Um, uh, another thing is that like there's also you know uh, another t area of like price improvement is. You know, batching. People talk about batching all the time. Like, if people are trading in the same direction at the same time, if you just like route it through a Uniswap pool in the back of the Uniswap pool, right? Then like that's less optimal than like netting it all together. Mm -hmm. um, so by creating like a kind of a, a, a competitive marketplace for it, um, in where people are competing in an auction, it basically forces people to you know find the most sophisticated strategies mm -hmm. um, uh, that that you know offer the most price improvement. And so sometimes it might mean like you know executing multiple transactions at the same time, uh, and in that way, like you know you're saving some gas costs mm -hmm. and you're also uh, maybe internalizing some of the the price improvement um, to, to for swappers. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, look, the real goal is to like you know deliver value to users at the end right. of the day, and so. Um, uh, and then the other thing I'll mention is that, like, again, because we're on blockchains, there's a bunch of like UX implica implications of, um, you know, like uh, just like gas, right? So with Uniswap X, uh, orders are off-chain signatures mm -hmm. that are then, you know, so you, rather than like signing transactions that are sent directly to the chain, users sign off-chain signatures that ex you know express their intent right. as as is mm -hmm. a word of the moment in in crypto. Um, and, and that is, you know, sort of a, an auction of, you know, a, mm -hmm. a, a price decaying auction. Right. And then people are competing, you know, as soon as the price hits a point where people are willing to fill it, you know, they, the, the fillers, mm -hmm. an, a new class participant, are submitting it to the chain. And those fillers look, you know, similar to the block builders of today. Right. Um, and, you know, likely will be a lot of the uh, of overlap or, mm -hmm. or similar to like the trading firms and arbitragers. Um, and uh, because orders just start off as you know off chain signatures, you also get benefits like if if your transaction is going to fail, it never gets submitted, um, uh, and also just like being able to abstract away gas for users. So if I want to swap you know USDC for Dai, I don't want to think about like ETH uh, right. as an input, um, right? Today when you swap USDC for Dai, your ETH balance goes down a little bit. Um, here you know with with Uniswap X, you just sign a message, someone else pays the ETH, uh, and that's reflected in the price that you get. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's a bunch of other benefits as well, but yeah, there there is the the first thing you said as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of things under the hood there that I want to unpack, like the gas, the MEV, all of that kind of stuff. But really, just to to start at the very very top, how is this different? Just to make sure that we're we're setting the table appropriately, how is this different from like a Dex aggregator? Or yep. some of the other liquidity optimizer services that are out there. Like, uh, if we take a peek under the hood, like, what, what, how should people think about this in in its new form? Yeah, I say that like, you know, for most Dex aggregators and for where there is prior work and there's other like teams that are attempting to do things that like are, are categorically similar. Mm -hmm. um, but like in terms of like the traditional model for for a Dex aggregator, uh, you know, what people are doing is just like, in, like you have like a single team that is like integrating liquidity sources one by one. Right. And you know, in, in, in doing that, like you're you're hoping to get as much liquidity coverage as possible. Mm -hmm. That was like the kind of traditional Dex aggregator. It's definitely like you know various experiments, you know, right. like like Caswap and Fusion and stuff that like get into closer territory to what we're we're doing with Uniswap X. Um, but here, you know, rather than like trying to like manually find all the liquidity sources, here uh, we're basically saying anyone can do that. 
right. and they're competing against each other. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a marketplace. Um, it's a little bit more yeah. meta than yes. a DEX aggregator. So a DEX yeah. aggregator that is was like... A, that was a name on the... There, there was a Uniswap meta was, was one name we considered, but naming things <laughs> is hard. Uh, you know, and, and I think meta kind of... I think meta kind of ruined meta, it. Meta is now taken. That yeah, box has been checked, sadly. So, okay, so a DEX aggregator provides a singular solution to getting the best liquidity. And that, that is their solution. And what you're saying is in order to improve that product, the teams behind every DEX aggregator needs to serially, manually, one by one, integrate with liquidity pools and in order to prove the, improve their product. And what you're saying is Uniswap X is not that. It is actually a place for all of those solutions to compete in the marketplace. Yeah. And maybe at this point, complexity around Uniswap is so large that knowing the, the correct way of producing the best outcome is perhaps impossible which is why you need to leave it up to the free market. Yeah, uh, th that's definitely it. And there's also like other liquidity sources that can start to be integrated um, there as well. I I'd also add that like signed off-chain order-based auctions are like a really powerful primitive. Let's, um, let's dive down yeah. into that. So like the current, if I go to Uniswap, I sign a transaction, I broadcast it to Ethereum, in 12 to 24 seconds, it gets included in the blockchain. That is the current Uniswap user experience that people are used to. With Uniswap X, we have this new thing. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I think that something that's funny is that actually every order, like you already have an auction happening every transaction, right? Because there's like an auction for block space. Mm. Um, but people are like competing to like, you know, there's, there's like, um, I'd say that like one thing that's interesting is that there, if you imagine there's like a price curve and then there's a gas price curve. Mm -hmm. um, and today, like whether or not your order gets included is based purely on the gas price curve, not the asset price curve. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like this combines everything. Like you just have the price curve. Like the, the nice thing is it kind of like combines like the gas and the price into a single thing, mm -hmm. um, which, which is like, which is part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like user sign off chain orders. They're broadcast, and they can be broadcast in a variety of ways. And, and signing off-chain orders, as opposed to signing a transaction. Yeah. And they, you know, people have talked about these for a long time, like meta transactions right. or, or sponsored transactions. All of these, it's like a similar category of things, um, but we're like bundling, you know, the gas, the gas auction of getting included in a block mm -hmm. with the price auction of trying to optimize your price right. uh, into the in, at, at the same time. And so that you know, there, there's like a nice efficiency thing there. Where sometimes, mm -hmm. for example, in the past, and it definitely things improved a lot with 1159, EIP 1159. But sometimes in the past, for example, like, you know, the the gas like your transaction would wait until like the gas dropped a significant amount to get included. But in that time, the token that you were selling also dropped, mm. and so it would have been better for you to pay more gas sooner. But your transaction has no awareness of like the, like there's no like, and that's where when, when people talk about like MEV awareness, like you, if, you're, if the if the you know if the fee that you're paying has no awareness. Of the uh, of the transaction that you're doing, then you're like really not optimizing, right. um, and so part of this is around that. There's also just like a gas, like right. there's like a UX benefit. Like people don't like thinking about gas. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm trading, you know, USDC for Dai, I just don't want to think about ETH, right. and it's confusing, and it, that's something that confuses users a lot. Right. I think something that maybe is, makes Uniswap a little bit unique, in not, not not totally unique, but like like somewhat unique in like how we are able to develop and design things is we just have a lot of users and we mm -hmm. hear a lot from them and you know some of how we approach solving problems is we're like okay like what is holding us back today like mm -hmm. why what what are our users struggling with right now and mm -hmm. that's part of what like led to us creating a wallet mm -hmm. is our users were struggling with wallet UX and you know it's it's part of what led to some of our design decisions here is it's like you know it's just like how do we how do we continue to to you know push things forward. Mm -hmm. I want to I drill down on this uh, off-chain order thing just a yep. little bit more because I think it's a great um, 
microcosm for the solutions being put forth by Uniswap X yeah. as a whole to begin with. So in this in Uniswap in its current form, like I said, I sign a transaction, I broadcast that transaction. The gas fee that I pay is hard coded into that transaction, and yeah. that is independent from the trade yeah. that I'm that I'm making. And so these are two different variables that are not talking to each other and can produce suboptimal results because maybe the like you said, the token moves against me in the time that I tried to save two dollars of gas, I lost fifteen dollars off my trade. Exactly. With a signing an off-chain order, which is signing a transaction but not broadcasting it and just leaving it for somebody, a filler, a taker yeah. to to take and fulfill that, they are allowed to combine the computation between optimizing for gas fees and optimizing for the actual swap. Yeah. And so they take that complexity and do that computation to produce the best outcome. And because yeah. it was left off-chain, it was assigned an off-chain order, some sort of off-chain service provider, some filler who's managing this order routing and all the other complexity, they're able to manage the complexity between the gas and the swap to produce a better outcome for a user. And that's just like one piece of many pieces of combined complexity that allows for a better yeah. Swapping experience for, for sure. I, I th something I'll add is that like that might be like, oh, there's an off-chain server. Like, like what does that mean for decentralization? But mm -hmm. just I, I think it's like worth noting that like today the way it works is you, it's not like it's not actually there's no like magic like user signs that right. goes straight to the chain. Right there's like we have like mempools, we have block right. builders, we have like Infura, Infura. We have all boss, these things yeah. in between. Um, and what we're trying to do is say like let's optimize what's in between. Uh, to like you know optimize for the best outcomes for users because mm -hmm. um, today like you know MEV you know block builders aren't optimizing to give users the most money they're optimizing to take the most money for themselves mm -hmm. and and often and actually you know funny enough a lot of that money is going to ETH holders mm -hmm. through uh, efficient MEV auctions mm -hmm. um, but uh, so actually ETH holders are, are, are making a lot of that profit but we you know ultimately want to give give a lot of that value back to swappers mm -hmm. uh, I know we like ETH but um, <laughs> yeah you we know. also like UX but, and and, yeah. and and value value retention by by end users yeah. 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 I also mentioned that, like, you know, I mentioned like off-chain orders, like signed off-chain orders as like a general primitive. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think something that's like really powerful with Uniswap X is it actually opens up a ch uh, world for like cross-chain swapping as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, today what we, we're launching a, a, or today is, uh, oh, it depends on when this gets. Is it hopefully yeah. on Monday. Yeah, hopefully Monday, Monday, uh, the 17th? United States time. Yeah, Ju July seventeenth, yeah. something like that. Um, the uh, you know there's going to be like an opt-in beta. People can sign up to to or people can like opt-in in the UI to start having some per small percentage of their orders route through this. We're we're starting small. We're we're you know it's only for certain pairs for certain t trade sizes, etc. Um, and and it's going to you know so that we can continue to like give time for more fillers to come into the ecosystem mm -hmm. and continue optimizing how how we parameterize the system. Um, but you know starting to, that that like today we'll have like a version that's just like on mainnet on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but in the long run, we can really make this cross-chain, and you can sign orders that are, you know, this this method of like signed off-chain orders is like really powerful and expressive, and, and allows for you know really uh, good user experience um, and, and efficient cross-chain swapping as well. And so, you know, not today, but maybe like hopefully like later in this year, uh, we'll see like cross-chain trading, um, and and that will also be really cool. I want to try and define the landscape of what Uniswap is now, yep. because we have on-chain on Ethereum and the layer twos. We have Uniswaps one through four, <laughs> uh, which are AMMs. Yeah. Uh, and then now we also have Uniswap X, which is an order routing protocol. It's another protocol. 
Uh, and so this is a, a new protocol. This is not an AMM. This is actually something completely new for, compared to all the you know Uniswaps one through four. This is not a Uniswap five. This is something completely different. This is a parallel and complementary. Parallel and complementary. Like the pieces fit yep. really really well together. But I really want to kind of carve out what the definition is of yep. Uniswap X. I'm going to do my best, yep. and you can correct me because I'm only get so far. Uh, Uniswap X is a protocol, an open ended protocol for service service providers fillers trade executors to come in, fulfill the best trade according to the parameters of a swapper. And so a swapper comes to Uniswap X and yep. they say, hey, I want to do something. And Uniswap X puts that into a package that fillers can all compete on. And so yep. it's like a, a protocol, what do protocols do? They bundle things in easy to manage packages of information so that other service providers, fillers, swappers, liquidity providers, whatever in the Ethereum ecosystem can all come and compete on that vector of providing that one swapper the best swap possible. And this is, again, complementary with Uniswaps one through four, but is so completely different protocol, correct? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, yeah, you, you could start to think of like AMMs as ways of creating liquidity, mm -hmm. uh, you know, building building on top of liquidity as a building block, mm -hmm. um, right? There's like, you know, on-chain integrations, uh, uh, and it's just a really in cool, expressive, and efficient on-chain way of providing liquidity. Um, but I'd say that like naive routing solutions through AMMs in the long term are not going to make it. Like you mm -hmm. kind of need right. your routing solutions to be aware of things like MEV, aware of, you know, kind of more expressive in, in user intents. And so the the... You know, you could think of this as like, we already have a routing layer. We already have this thing we call the auto router. We also have this thing we call client side routing. So we have a, ver like in our, in our web app today, you can actually toggle between two types of routing. I don't know if you know that, but like there's a client side, which basically turns off the API entirely and just speaks directly to the chain. And that's like maximally like provable. And, and, uh, but then we have like, the, but like to make it like better for users, you kind of need to have, you know, uh, smarter routing. And so we have this like smart order router, you know, auto router thing we call. Uh, and and that is like a little bit faster and discovers more routes, um, but there's an API behind it. But uh, it's open source, and, and and so the goal. And I would think of this as like a protocol that lives in that domain, not as a protocol that lives in the like AMM. Right. You know, so like we already have this like the, like the routing side of the system already exists, and we're and we're um, we're just kind of like you know updating it with a, a new protocol. And mm -hmm. I'll also mention that like the Uniswap X does have like, there's like on-chain smart contracts that settle orders, they're immutable, mm -hmm. actually open source, real, uh, GPL, um, GPL open source. And uh, then there's, you know, uh, wait, you just have, and then you have like front ends that broadcast orders, um, fillers that have to like discover those broadcasted orders. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the fillers basically can submit them directly to the smart contracts. So I think what Uniswap X is really doing is they're, um, enabling a new type of player in the Uniswap arena. So we have, we have swappers yeah. already. Uh, most people listening to this are swappers. Some people listening to this might be liquidity providers. Yeah. And they are providing liquidity into the AMM. So we have the AMMs, which are the Uniswaps 1 through 4. We have the liquidity providers. We have the uh, swappers, the, trader, yeah. the traders who trade on Uniswap. And, but now Uniswap X is enabling this new type of player called a filler. Yeah, I, I think it's worth noting that like they're not new. We just have a routing system that is aware of them. Right, you're uh, right? formalizing like, them. We're formalizing them in a way that can put constraints on them. Because right now, what they do is, you know, you can think of them as today as like the people that do like you know the most advanced trading strategies, the people that do a lot of the arbitrage, the block builders, the MEV extractors, mm -hmm. right? And what we're trying to do is like put constraints on them and, and take value that would go to them and give them back to the swappers. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so the, the, the players exist. We're just formalizing them and we're, we're, we're you know, having them compete with each other uh, in a way that tries to drive as much value back to swappers as possible. Mm -hmm. So swappers, the people who trade on Uniswap just to trade tokens, yeah. uh, meme tokens, USDC, Ether, yeah. are now going to be pointed towards Uniswap X. So to trade on Uniswap now in the future, in, now with Uniswap X, means to be trading through Uniswap X, correct? Well, I, you know, f first, like there is like uh, the the routing system we're going to build is like going to you know direct your order wherever it thinks it will get you the best price. And so, you know, especially at launch with the beta, like a lot of orders will just route you know through our existing routing system. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that like over time, probably more volume will go through Uniswap X. But I think that over time, also most Uniswap X volume will go through Uniswap the AMM protocol. Right. So um, Uniswap X people will trade on Uniswap. They can use Uniswap X, and then Uniswap X for as in its nascent time, we'll just say, oh, you know what's most efficient? The Uniswap order router. Yeah. But as it develops and grows and matures, it might find a better pricing and better better just sources over time. Yeah. And but but for what it's worth, like th that sort of already happened. Like we're already in that world, which is right. which is, you know, like today, like if if you don't get best prices going you know going through Uniswap, then people will go go somewhere else. And so like there's always like other liquidity, like I think that like you know the goal of the Uniswap the AMM is to have like the you know the best liquidity and the most assets possible, and I think that you know Uniswap V4 is like a really really powerful way of achieving that, mm -hmm. and I'd say that you know uh, it, it's so funny the the you know one thing that's like really interesting is when I was developing Uniswap V1 you know way back in the day there was like um, the framing the, the the like the mental framework was like. Do AMMs have a place in this world? Mm -hmm. uh, the frame wasn't like you know um, was like I'm going to build the best AMM that's going to take over all the liquidity. It was, it was like like it, like this is like a new way to do like liquidity creation, and like I wonder if it will like work and like have a place in the world. And and I think we saw that it does, and it's like a really efficient, cool way of creating liquidity and unlocks some really new, powerful new things, like the ability for anyone to create you know liquidity at like sort of any like it's sort of. You know, anyone can create liquidity. Not not anyone can create liquidity as efficiently or effectively as Citadel, but anyone can do it at some level, right? And that's why a lot of the earliest you know pools that were big on Uniswap were like these like longer tail pools that were struggling to get exchange listings, etc. And, you know, like MKR and DAI were like very big in the early days because they were like it was like the only place to trade them. And so like AMMs are like have these like new unlocks. They're like oh like anyone can provide liquidity. It also has like on-chain integrations, which are like a really like like money Legos. It's like a really big unlock. Um, I, I think that like you know in the like when I think about decentralized finance and like what we're trying to achieve, right? Like we can't just kind of like iterate in our like small world. Like we have to like kind of innovate and push beyond it. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that like. I think that like AMMs are like going to be like you know I'm extremely bullish AMMs as like a market structure, but I think that there are also other market structures that like mm -hmm. could you know exist in the future, and then I think we also want to discover them and have them be part of the Uniswap ecosystem, right. um, and and have them be like complementary. And so like you could think of this as like oh some you know some volume might go you know elsewhere, but like that volume might go elsewhere anyway because if you, if right. Uniswap isn't offering the best prices, right. and so. Uh, I'd say that like you know other liquidity sources are going to exist whether or not we we you know are aware of them and, and look for them, and so you know also worth mentioning that like today you know Uniswap uh, has like a pretty like it's the funny thing is that we've actually seen this play out in aggregators like Uniswap still is like the largest liquidity source for every aggregator that's out there even though they all have like private market makers other mm -hmm. liquidity sources. Um, and I think that like the the sort of network effects that can build up around V4 will also be like really helpful. Um, so what you're saying with all of that is that Uniswap X is not a Uniswap maximalist protocol. 
I, well, it's, it has the word Uniswap. I, I'd say that like it's it is a <laughs> it's, it's not a Uniswap. <laughs> it's, it's I'd say that like I don't want to go that far. Like I'm pretty AMM maxi in, in in many ways, but I'd say that like um, it's like expressive and starts to push the Uniswap ecosystem to go beyond strictly AMMs. Right. Um, but I'd say that like it still is like also the best way to route across AMMs, which is I think really important. Like you could like like for anything that is like lost to other liquidity sources, there's like also gains I think in like routing efficiency, um, and also uh, really importantly when you start to think around like. Uh, you know, when we jump back to like that hooks problem, mm -hmm. like one of the biggest questions that we got after the, the sort of announcement of our vision for Uniswap V4 was like, okay, I'm a team, I create a hook, and how do I make sure that people like you know front end like one of the nice things about Uniswap is if I create a pool, I know that it, like routing is gonna is gonna be discovered in like routing engines. Like if I create a new hook that has some new like you know like let's say it has like TWAM in it. TWAM, if you're routing through a TWAM pool, you need to be aware of right. like the TWAM component because that affects the price you get, and you can't just look at the liquidity. Um, or if I create some other custom hook, like how do I know that my, you know, maybe people are afraid that it will like, you know, it's not safe and they have to audit it and they take some time to audit it and they don't care about me. And, and so like, how does my liquidity get discovered? Mm -hmm. And this is like the solution to that, right? It's like if someone creates a new custom pool, uh, a, a new custom hook, you know, rather than needing like Uniswap Labs team to audit their hook and integrate it into our front end, mm -hmm. you know, which is, which is like, uh, you know, a, a, not the like it's not the ideal process, uh, right? And and like let's say like maybe we're going to be in a world where there's a million hooks, right? Or a, a million like like right now we already have hundreds of thousands of pools. We're going to be in a world that has like millions, probably eventually hundreds of millions of pools, mm -hmm. and you can't like have a single kind of team just does routing. And so like you, you can think of this as like now all you need is to find one liquidity, one filler who's willing to integrate your hook. And then that hook is like represented in the liquidity that you find in front ends, like your Uniswap front end. So when you know when you go, so someone can like not only create their liquidity pool on Uniswap, they can like you know find one of any filler in the world or, or create um, that's willing to like you know uh, include that hook, uh, and and then you know from day you know immediately that liquidity is represented in the Uniswap UI. And so I think that like you could think of it as like like uh, adversarial, but I kind of think of it as like almost like strictly required to like make it work in the long run. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I, pretty, pretty excited. MetaMask has something new. Introducing MetaMask Portfolio. MetaMask Portfolio is the best way to view your crypto portfolio from a holistic level. See everything across all the chains all at once. In your portfolio, MetaMask will report the aggregate value of all the assets in your MetaMask wallets and even the other wallets you import too. But MetaMask Portfolio isn't just a passive portfolio viewer. It is a place to do all of the money verbs that make DeFi so powerful. You can buy, swap, bridge, and stake your crypto assets. So not only only is MetaMask the easiest place to see your wallets in aggregate, but it's also a powerful battle station for all of your DeFi moves. So go check out your MetaMask portfolio because it's waiting for you to open it up. Check it out at portfolio.metamask.io. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed onto Arbitrum 1 with a flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystem. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own layer three, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a 
builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. Are you a dev, but you don't know Solidity? With Stylus, Arbitrum's upcoming proposal for a programming environment upgrade, developers can write smart contracts in Rust, C, C++, and many more coding languages. Arbitrum empowers you to explore and build without compromise. Visit Arbitrum.io, where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app on Arbitrum. Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRamps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. I think this is just overall a really good, elegant lesson as to how markets harness complexity really, really well. Uh, there'd be no way where one single player could manage all of this complexity with all these different pools in, in versus the competition of just like how just like, oh, this is too complex, just deal, make the market deal with it. Um, I, I, I want to run through how Uniswap X actually works. I mean, we've talked a lot about the contours of it, but maybe we can run through the life cycle of a transaction and how Uniswap X actually ensures that that transaction gets the best actual output of whatever it's trying to do possible. So like, maybe you can run us through yeah, Uniswap X under the hood. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we can start with like the Uniswap front end. Um, for, for swappers in the Uniswap front end, it actually looks and feels very, very similar. Okay. Um, you know, no when, new skills are required here. No new skills. Hopefully, fewer skills in the long run. But um, you know, when you go to, to you know, you you choose the tokens you want to trade. You like kind of like you know, you click like swap. Um, the the big the first difference is actually that you'll see that uh, there's no gas for your swap. Mm -hmm. um, there is still. I'll caveat that like there is still like one initial approve per token of like the permit contract. Okay. We, we, we created these permit contracts that you've probably seen mm -hmm. that'll like basically allow any signature to do signature. Any token that you approve on this contract can now do signature-based approvals forever for you. Mm. So that's like what, what permit is, and this is building on top of that. So you do have to do an approved transaction every once in a while for mm -hmm. new tokens that you haven't traded, and that does cost gas. And there's no way to avoid that unless the token itself includes gasless signatures mm. or you're using a smart contract wallet. But for tokens that do have, you know, uh, signature-based approvals uh, eventually. But, um, uh, but anyway, like once we have our token approvals, mm -hmm. uh, which is our, you know, from from that point on, right? You you make a swap, and instead of uh, paying gas, and instead of um, you know signing a transaction, it, you know, in Meta, if you're using MetaMask, it looks a little different. You swap wallet looks than a regular transaction. It just says, you know, you're trying to sign a, a you're just like signing a signature. Mm -hmm. um, so you sign the you sign a signature. And then at that moment, it feels very similar. You know, it then goes to a pending transaction state mm -hmm. for the user. Um, one noticeable difference is that when you sign a transaction, you can immediately go to Etherscan and start like waiting for it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, here, it's just an off-chain signature, so the, right. the order hasn't been executed. We don't know what the transaction hash will be yet. Right. Um, at this point, it's, it's not even in the mempool. Yeah. It's in the pre-mempool. Yeah. 
Um, at, at this point, the uh, you know the order is broadcast to like a network of fillers from the from the front end, um, and and there's like a kind of like a yeah um, there's an, there's an API for that, and then uh, you know it's similar to like our our auto routers. There's an API, and um, so the order is broadcast to a network of fillers. And I'm going to start with the base case and then mention that there's like an optimal, there's an, there's an additional like ability to parameterize through RFQ. Mm -hmm. But just like the base case of, the, of a GUDA order, is you sign an auction order, it's broadcast, uh, your order is basically like a decaying price auction. Mm -hmm. So like at the moment you sign it, you're like willing to accept 100, uh, you know, like one price, and then like the price goes down a little bit over time. Mm -hmm. And what Until that does, it gets filled. Yeah, and, and so you start at like, you know, maybe it starts at a, a little bit above the price you expect, right. and then it decays over time. Right. And what that does is, you know, it the moment that it's worth it for someone to fill, they will. And so that's like what right. creates a competition. Right. Um, and that's what, in theory, produces the best possible outcome because yes. so long as somebody is, some rational uh, actor is saying, hey, that's profitable, I'll do that, you'll get the first profitable yeah. actor that'll do that. Yeah, the first, you know, the person who's willing to take the lowest margin or has right. like the best strategy. Um, and, and they're competing against other people, and they want to make sure they get it, so they, they try to get the best price. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, and, the, and then, you know, then at that moment, the filler, not you, submits the transaction, meaning they're paying the gas. Mm -hmm. And then what that does is it pulls your tokens out of your wallet. You know, you've approved it, you know, and, and, and there's a smart contract that you fill through, and it enforces that they can only take the tokens out of your wallet if they send you the required amount of tokens based on the moment at which it executes, right? Because there's like a timestamp component. Um, and that's, that's about it, right? You sign an order, a filler, you know, the first filler that's willing to fill it takes it and submits it on chain and pays the gas, and that does the transaction. Mm -hmm. um, I think that something that, you, you know, starts to happen here is, is you think about, like, like latency. Mm -hmm. uh, so back in the day, pre-1159, Uniswap transactions used to take, like, a few minutes sometimes. People were, like, the gas markets weren't very good or very efficient. Right. Um, today, with, you know, today, it's a little bit faster. Uh, about 75% of Uniswap trades execute in the first block. Um, after they sign it, and about you know ninety percent in the second block uh, by the end of the second block, um, and you know so I think that there's like definitely a need for the the auctions to happen very quickly, mm -hmm. um, and so to you know there there's an optional component for this system, um, uh, you know like smart, optional at a smart contract level, right? UIs can do whatever, but um, that allows you to, like layer an RFQ on top of it. Mm -hmm. Which basically means you use an RFQ system, right? Request for quote, they're called, where you, you know, ask a bunch of people, what is the best price you'll give me? And you use that to inform what the actual market price is rather than like guessing at the, at, when you're parameterizing the auction. Mm -hmm. um, to, to incentivize people to like give you their best quotes, you do have to like, um, you know, give, uh, give them some, something sort of in return. And so the way that that looks in the smart contracts is if you use the off optional RFQ uh, parameterization, then you can you then basically there's like a slight priority given to the RFQ winner for the first you know maybe few blocks. Mm -hmm. So what it, what it looks like is like I sign my order, I, I get I, if I'm doing uh, you know a transaction with an RFQ, I, I I ask you know the best quote, I sign an order that says this person can fill at their quote. Um, anyone can fill uh, if they have real price improvement, they can fill and they can can come in before them. Um, but there's like some margin of price improvement that they have to offer. Mm. So you can't offer like one way higher. Right. It's like you have to offer like, you know, maybe 0.5% higher, right. something like that. Mm -hmm. So there's still a public auction component where someone can come in with price improvement and outcompete the RFQ winner, which is important. Um, but there is like a, a, for a few blocks, a slight priority given to RFQ winner, uh, which allows you to basically get, you know, very efficient, very fast price discovery. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in that way, you know, maybe most transactions that fill through the, uh, that, that include the RFQ can execute maybe in like, you know, one to two blocks, as opposed to if you weren't using the RFQ, maybe it would take like, you know, five to 10 blocks or something like that. 
Um, yeah. With this model, uh, this de de uh, decreasing price auction, which is a Dutch auction, which has existed from the 1700s, which is why we know it's really like a primitive. Do you know where it comes from? Uh, the, the Dutch? Yes, but uh, do you know, uh, it was from tulip auction. Tu yeah, whenever yeah. I hear Dutch, I'm like, was it the tulips? Yeah, it was the tulips. <laughs> it was the tulips. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was flower auctions. Uh -huh. We'll put a pin in that one. That, yeah. <laughs> first tulips, now dogs. Um, it, what, what, the, you have the option of extending the time and the or slowing down the decreasing price for a very long time. Yeah. Like, you know, you could go up to 10 blocks or you could go up to 10 days for whoever wants to do that for whatever reason. What yeah. would be the advantage for extending that period of time? Like, why would someone do that? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, you can... So, so one thing is if you don't want to like depend on this R, you know, this RFQ system, or if the RFQ system is not like optimal for whatever reason for your trade, some people might just be comfortable making having like part of it is like you know there's sort of an assumption in what I'm saying that users need their transaction to execute in the same one or two blocks, and I think a lot of users that's really important, mm -hmm. and it's like a reason that like that's like like you know when we when, when we build things at Uniswap we have like we have to be able to consider what our users care about, and and so. Uh, you know, having this like RFQ component allows it for users who want their trade to ex execute in like the next block. Um, it, it allows that. But if users are like comfortable waiting like a minute or two, you you might have um, there's definitely the you know there's a lot of debates you could get into about whether or not it's like there's price improvement. It probably depends on like the size of the order. Mm -hmm. All right, if you're making like a large order, giving some people time to like source liquidity can optimize the price. So waiting a little bit longer, giving more time for it to propagate, more people to discover it, etc. There is risk that the the price moves like that the price moves against you during that time and not like you know this this sort of like so you you are like if you have an order that executes more slowly there is risk um that you are taking on like price risk that like maybe the like the trade will like go down uh, you know the price will go down not up for the token you're selling and so it's not like strictly better but it is um it does let you like remove the rfq system and it also you know i'd say that like you know, waiting one to two minutes, like you're not really expecting too much price movement, and it might actually like optimize price a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's it's I, I don't want to like it's like such a kind of a interesting design in, in trade-off space that it's like um, I, I'd also mention that you know one reason that might that might actually be is that like batching within the system is like if you have orders that execute slowly, maybe someone else makes an order in another direction within that time, and then it's more efficient to net against them. Uh, something that like maybe I'll I'll. People ever know is like the story, not everyone, but most people know the story of like Carl and, you know, my first friend in the space and he gets me into AMMs. Uh, I don't know if you know my second, the second person I met, the first three people in order that I met in the space were Carl, then Phil Dian, then, um, then Dan Robinson. Those it's are my, a pretty good lineup. Good, good lineup. So the second person I met in the space was Phil uh -huh. and, you know, uh, the, the founder, you know, co-founder of Flashbots. Right. Um, and like MEV, inventor of the term MEV, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, Discoverer of MEV. Yeah, uh -huh. uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, uh, he re released like the Flash Boys 2.0 right. paper. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, so we've been talking about this like design space since like well before. And like you know, the first like you know, the first kind of version of Uniswap, right? Is like, oh, I mean, like yeah, like this like, leaks MEV kind of. I mean, we didn't have the word MEV yet, but he, yeah. You know, right. And he sent me a paper uh, by this guy Eric Budish uh -huh. um, called like. Uh, Free uh, it was something like um, frequent batch auctions, something trading arms race, you know, free, mm -hmm. free, frequent batch, like basically gets into like the whole like Flash Boys 2.0 and like mm -hmm. basically like postulates that like if time is continuous, like if you treat time as like a continuous thing, then like these like HFT games are like inevitable. Right. Um, that like there's always people they're like front running is like inevitable if like time happens in order right. and that, that like the only and that like to like create fairer systems that don't favor like you know like 
like a like a an arms race, you kind of have to like break time up into discrete intervals mm. and do batching within those intervals. Mm. Um, and so they sort of like you know. Can, and, and definitely, like, there were, like, have been earlier attempts at it in Ethereum, but I think there's, like, often, like, UX issues around it. So I think what we're partially trying to do is, like, experiment with and explore this, like, this, this trade-off space of, like, how do we, like, create fairer outcomes that don't have this, like, this, like, like maximize power in, like, in, like, the most sophisticated traders in the world purely. Um, and I think part of that is, like, starting to, like, enable things to be executed in batch and starting to be, like, more aware of things like MEV. And, and, and so... Um, I don't even remember what question you asked at this point. I'm kind of just ranting, but um, uh, we were going through um, how the, the just the life cycle of the token, and, yeah. then, and then also just the time for why someone would extend out yeah. uh, a long, yeah. long period of blocks. Yeah. yeah, all that to say, like users have their preferences for like how their order. Like, if someone really cares about executing their order immediately, mm -hmm. they probably are going to get a slightly less optimized trade because they have to kind of like rely on like, 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 like you can't very efficiently discover the op. Like auctions allow you to like efficiently discover the the, the right price, um, but the slower the like, it's slow. Like if the auction is too fast, it's not very efficient. Right. It is, it's hard. It, you have to like know how to parameterize your auction, right. and you don't know how to and like and so like the faster you need it to converge like the less in some ways there's like less time for optimization and so like having like yeah um slower orders over time like like might just let you like get more optimal prices where you feel better about like they're not being someone who's like extracting some value from your transaction mm -hmm. if you don't care and you just want your order to happen right now mm -hmm. you know like then like you're always gonna then like things like um you know we can do much much better than today but like um there's going to be some trade-off space of mm -hmm. like if you want the instant fastest transaction, you might have to pay a little bit more in the right. long run than people who have slower transactions. Right. What about MEV? How is MEV uh, as a mechanism like stop? How how has Uniswap X stopped the leakage of MEV? Yeah, I'd say that like not you know, the, I don't want to use phrases like stop the leakage of MEV because there's like such a like there's even like different ways of like thinking about it. Some people say like oh MEV exists no matter what. It's just like you've internalized it, or some right. people, or it's like mm -hmm. gone to a different party. It existed. Mm -hmm. You just you know if you generally think about it as like you know if someone wants to make a trade, you know like mm -hmm. that creates some value somewhere, mm -hmm. and like uh, you know. Like there's a lot of forms of MEV, right? People have talked about like sandwiching, front running, back running, you know, reordering transactions, reorgs. Uh, I don't know if you remember time bandit attacks. So okay, I'll, I'll rephrase no, the question. I'll, I'll, no, I'll, how, yeah. how, how I'll has give you, an actual answer. How has Uniswap <laughs> X changed yeah. the way MEV is expressed? Yeah, yeah, no. I think that like generally, what we're trying to do is have value that today leaks out to block builders and validators through MEV markets, mm -hmm. right? Right now when someone makes a trade, like it is actually also broadcast publicly. It's brought, like right now basically, you know, someone makes a trade on Uniswap, like people are just like competing with each other, but they're not competing with each other to offer the best price to the Uniswap user. They're competing with each other to extract the most value mm -hmm. from the Uniswap user. Mm -hmm. That's what like, that's what current MEV markets are and that's what current like block building networks are. And what we're trying to say is, like, can we change how we encode transactions such that that competition, that like, that like, rather than like two sophisticated, a bunch of sophisticated people competing to like extract value from swappers, like they're competing with each with each other, and, and as much of that value as humanly possible. Like some of it, 
the mo like some value will always have to be go to Ethereum miners or valid validators. Some value will always go to like block builders. But like, how do we just maximize the percentage of, of, of the MEV that goes back to the swapper because they're competing with each other, right? right? Like if if they're competing right, right now, they are competing with each other, but they're competing with each other to take all of the money. Now we want them to keep compete with each other to like have most of that value go back to the swapper. Mm -hmm. um, so it just has to do with how you like encode your transactions, and having like you know an, an auction is a way of, of of doing that. Because if there you know today like a Uniswap order is like executing at like basically like a you know it says like I will make this trade as long as I get better than the minimum slippage my, my slippage tolerance. And what that means is like a validator can like front run the order up to the slippage tolerance and take that money for free mm -hmm. uh, if you're mining a block. Right. Um, and we don't want that, and so by having like a price decay over time, as soon as it's pro like like as soon as it's profitable for for someone to like to like include that transaction, they will. And and so it, I guess one way to put it is that like today, like depending on the size of the trade, like it can be f profitable to like front run up to your slippage tolerance. In this one, it it doesn't go to the minimum price because it usually like your slippage right. tolerance is still expressed as like the minimum price of the auction, but. The order is filled well before it hits your minimum price, and it right. can't be hit your minimum price until the end of the auction, by which mm -hmm. time it's already been profitable. So the first right. moment it's profitable, that's when it's filled. Mm -hmm. And so you don't like just get like front run up to your slippage tolerance, which is right. kind of how it works. Right. This is the beauty of the mechanism design of a Dutch auction, where just the, the mere system itself of making sure a somebody fills that order at the first profitable opportunity is the MEV protection mechanism. Yeah. I, I'd say that like also like you know, so, so that's like the mechanism of protection. I say there's like other ways that like, like it's it's improved and like like things like just the fact that like if you have a bunch of transactions at once that are off-chain orders, like one filler can like discover all of them and complete them all at the same time. Mm. And that means that like it can be it, it's about like that means it can be profitable to fill them all even earlier in their life cycle because like like someone might have an order and on its own it's not profitable for the filler to include it in a block or like a block builder. But like, if you if you you know have another order that's going the other direction, then maybe you can. And so like, when you think about that as like the earlier up you are, like the higher up you are in your Dutch auction, like the, it's a decaying price. The higher up you are, mm -hmm. the less value has been leaked. And so we're trying to like you know the more optimal that, you know uh, of that that we can like make these filler networks, um, and the better we can parameterize these orders, like the less value will be leaked. Okay, are we ready for the bridge conversation? Cross chain, cross chain swapping. Yes, cross chain swapping. How do we? How do I enter this conversation? <laughs> yeah. What's, um, the, what's the point of entry yeah, here? I, I I can start and and um, uh, basically, you know, when you have orders expressed as off chain signatures, mm -hmm. um, we we initially like started this pro uh, project kind of thinking about what we might want to do in the aggregation space and. And I think that what we discovered in the process is like if you express your orders as off-chain signatures, there are like other things you can do. And I think one thing we discovered is that you can actually do very efficient, um, very you know powerful, good UX cross-chain swapping. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, so you, instead of signing an order that says I want to swap this token for this token on Ethereum, you could sign an order that says I want to swap this token on Optimism for this token on Arbitrum, or this you know swapping you know across chains, and. The, the the sort of beauty of it is that from a swapper's perspective, the user experience is exactly the same, and even like the the like the like the the UX of like you know it, it actually can fill very quickly, and the, the the you know these fillers that are filling orders on Uniswap uh, uh, that you know we've already talked about, they actually can handle like the complexity and latency uh, of using bridges, mm -hmm. um, and and figuring out settlement, and so 
uh, you know, we basically think that like the the cross chain version of this is is really powerful. I, I guess one way to put it is that um, maybe a few of the benefits that you might see is one, it allows for like native asset swaps. So like right now, a lot of value currently lives in like. When people are doing like moving funds between chains and making trades across them, usually what you're doing is like you're bridging an asset, then you have a bridged representation of that asset on another chain mm -hmm. um, that is like sitting in a passive in like a liquidity pool, um, and then you're swapping in that liquidity. Like you might like bridge ETH to maybe to be more concrete, like you might bridge ETH to Polygon and then swap your Polygon ETH to um, to uh, to Matic tokens on Polygon. Mm -hmm. I guess they re re they rebranded their token. Um, Soon, yeah. Something like that. With approval, yeah. Something like that. Um, but, uh, but you know, in that world, you know, and, you know, bridges are, like, I mean, look, we've, we've looked at this world of bridge. Like, we've had so many bridge hacks. Funds that passively sit in bridges are just, like, you know, risk for the industry, more or less. And the, look, the more, you know, obviously, like, some bridges are much better than others. And, like, we've had, like, these, these L2 bridges have been, have held up pretty well so far for the most part. Um, but what you can do with Uniswap X is you could just say, I'm going to swap ETH on mainnet for Matic on Polygon and, you know, a filler, basically, you know, uh, I, I, should I talk to the life cycle maybe? Maybe that would help. Sure, yeah. They're like, you know, so like a, a swap in my sign in order that says, like, I want to swap ETH on mainnet for, for Matic on, on, on Polygon and a filler. And then and it, it, just like the, the previous, you know, version, like you have like this decaying price auction mm -hmm. for how much, you know, Matic you need to fill to... You know, to get that the input ETH, mm -hmm. and uh, the order is actually completed on the input chain as well. Mm -hmm. So the filler, when they, as soon as there's a price at which they're willing to fill, they like you know they they initiate a transaction that like claims the order, and they they, they transfers the user's input you know tokens into a kind of like an escrow contract, and they put up a little bond, and uh, now you know they're basically responsible for sending you those tokens on the output chain. And so the next thing that the filler does is they send you those tokens on an output chain, on the output chain, and uh, you know now the filler from the swapper's perspective they like have just like made a cross chain swap, mm -hmm. and then the filler basically has to like prove that they did that to claim the user's input tokens on the input chain, mm -hmm. and if they don't do the proof eventually it would go back to the, the swapper because they you know never proved that they filled. Um, now how do you do a proof? You can you know use any like any possible bridge. Right. Um, so th that's one of the really cool things about it is that like Uniswap X cross chain variant basically can support any possible message, you know, bridge messaging or like any like, cross chain messaging protocol uh, or even like any other you know, system for how you settle these cross chain orders. Uh, it's like kind of completely ag agnostic to that. Uh, but, you know, we have uh, initial some, some initial smart contracts, which I think will probably be going open source around the same time as, as uh, that basically allow you to um, that, that work for like the you know the canonical optimism arbitrum and polygon bridges, mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah basically like you know the the filler has to proof through a bridge or they could do it optimistically like you know one way to do it is like the, it's assumed the filler fills unless someone challenges it and then it kicks off a, the force to, to to do it through a bridge it's like a similar design space to like optimistic rollups or something where like um, but but that shouldn't happen in most cases like because you have bonds to prevent that. Uh, but generally speaking, maybe I'm, you know, user signs off chain order, uh, that's a, that is an auction. Uh, filler, you know, uh, initiates a transaction that, that puts their tokens onto the, uh, into the escrow contract, then fills in the output chain and does a proof. And that proof can be an optimistic proof, which means that, like, it's assumed that they do it unless it's proven that they don't. Mm -hmm. um, and then in that way, you have, like, very, you know, fast, good UX cross-chain swaps. And, like, definitely if you go to a challenge period, then it might be, like, like if you, if you challenge a swap where you need to prove it through like the you know uh, the optimism or arbitrum bridges which are seven days then you have a seven day lockup period of the, of the input assets 
but that only happens if if a filler lies and then they lose their bond. And so you have to like parameterize these bonds to uh, to be such that it's not incentive. It's you know not optimal to to fade. To to carry this through with one of the themes I established at the beginning, which we talked about with all Uniswap v4 and one through four. There's all these pools and all this complexity, and so this beautiful elegant mechanism of an off-chain signed uh, order, an, an off-chain order. That doesn't just solve the complexity problem of pools. It also solves the complexity problem problem of bridges. And bridges and pools are kind of similar in that in that regard. And so since we are just signing these transactions, signing these messages, all these off-chain orders that say, I have this token and I would like this other token on this other chain, all of that gets abstracted by the same service providers, the same the same fillers. And so they they can manage the bridge complexity. They can manage the the timing and the latency of that and just provide the swapper the thing that they want, which is the maximum number of tokens in the place that they want it. Yeah. And all of that complexity is just, again, once again, the whole theme of this seems to be left up to the free market, left up to the yeah. fillers. Yeah, and, and there's like smart contracts on the, like the input chain that like enforce that the swapper actually gets what they right. wanted, right? Because uh, you do have to choose like, what is your source of truth for whether or not the order was filled? Mm -hmm. And that's specified in the order as it's being broadcast. And so like, it's likely that like, will you, you know, in our UI, once we have this um, live in our UI, like, You'll probably use like mostly canonical bridges. So like you know, uh, you know, for swaps between optimism and mainnet, maybe we'll use the optimism bridge. And you know, you can use the optimistic pattern to make it so that like you know, you don't actually have to have seven day you know mm -hmm. delays. And I, I'll also mention like one thing that's kind of cool is that it's not just for like like you can think of it as like also like for like fast L two exits. You can use this, mm -hmm. right? Some people who are you know, some people might be willing to like pay you. If, if you have, you know, uh, ETH on mainnet and want ETH on optimism, someone who's on optimism who wants to exit might be willing to pay you a little bit to do that, right? Um, and so uh, you, you can use this for fast exits as well. Um, I'd say that, like, definitely the, like, redu reduced amount of... One thing that's, like, a little bit different is from, like, most existing kind of, like, bridging protocols is most bridging protocols have passive exposure to bridge risk. Passive exposure to bridge risk. What is that? So, like, if basically, like, um, liquidity providers in them are like, like, so, like, you hear about like bridge hacks, like, basically, like, that, like, yeah, we do, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, you hear about bridge hacks all the time. There was, I think, there was a billion dollar one, like, last week or something. Oh, last week? I thought so, maybe not. I've, I've been gone for 10 days. This is the okay. first thing I've done in, yeah. in crypto in the last 10 days. Well, so you know. I have some catching up to do. Well, we don't, I don't know if we know how much. I think it was like minimum, I don't know, it was like, anyway, we don't need to get into specific, okay. but, um, but yeah, like you know, bridge bridge hacks are a thing, um, and it's because people are like have like they're holding, re you know, they, you, you deposit a token on one chain and it has a rep, and then at that point the bridge is kind of like almost like a multi sig, mm -hmm. holding all the fun those tokens and they have representations of those tokens on other chains, mm -hmm. um, and the the sort of like risk and and for as long as those tokens live on the other chain, in any form, and, and if you want to have like liquidity for people to like make trades, then like liquidity providers need to hold those like bridged representations of tokens on the other chains. Mm -hmm. And so like ETH on another chain is always going to be worse than ETH on mainnet. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, there's this, maybe one exception like USDC on any chain is probably like equally the same, sure. which is kind of interesting. And that's why it's interesting that they have a bridge. And by the way, we, we did do an experiment that, that made it so that we could use the, like the circle USDC bridge as a settlement system for mm -hmm. the cross-chain variant of, of Uniswap X. Um, but that's sort of an aside. Um, but you know, yeah, it, it again speaks to like you can like basically have like I think we're gonna eventually have a world where like most assets live on the chain in which they were originated or originated or like whatever in whatever chain that they're like most secure mm -hmm. or is like most canonical for that asset. Uh, there might be some assets that are like 
on multiple chains, like things that are common stores of value mm -hmm. and like, you know, currencies. So like, you know, top stable coins and maybe ETH and a few others. But like, um, but generally speaking, like allowing, you know, if you're a liquidity provider, just letting you kind of like hold most of your, like, like, let's say that like, you know, I want to fill and like, I could have like some native tokens on each chain. And like, if I want to fill an order, like let's say I do a cross-chain swap from some to some random native asset to Optimism from, from Mainnet. Like, even if you don't have, like, like, there might be AMMs on Optimism that are between like, you know, the Optimism native tokens and other Optimism native tokens and on Mainnet, between Mainnet native tokens. And so like the filler, they can basically just like, maybe they have like, they're holding OP tokens on Optimism. They buy some other Optimism native token, fill your order on, and, and fill your order on Optimism. And then they like, never ha and then like they just like receive ETH on mainnet and they never at any moment in time had to have like fun like they never had to hold like ETH wrapped on optimism or it, it just like reduces the amount of like the, like the size of these bridge honeypots and lets people just like swap between native assets well it seems to really minimize the use of bridges in the first place like yeah. rather than have bridges being bridges for ax assets Bridges are, in this model are simply just used to pass the final message, data, not assets, of approval that the bridge was actually, the, the trade, the swap was actually executed appropriately. Right. And so it's one small use of a bridge to pass a small packet of data rather than having uh, hosting long-term liquidity inside of these bridges. And you don't even need that data packet unless... The, the either the, like the swap like the filler is lying right. like like if the filler like actually fills your order you don't even need to pass that data is it uh, fair to call yeah. it minimum viable bridging yeah we're we're basically like trying to minimize the amount of like assets only live in bridges you know, like a, there are assets like us, users are only exposed to bridge risk while transactions are in flight mm -hmm. once like you know like the swapper has their like once the swapper has the output tokens and the filler has the input tokens there's like no more bridge risk for either party mm -hmm. uh, unless those tokens are happen to be like wrapped bridged assets right. but they don't need to be um so yeah we're like minimizing the the extent to which people need bridges we're also kind of like abstracting them away a little bit like mm -hmm. like this system can kind of support any possible bridge it you could think of it as a bridge aggregator it's important to like note that like the the, the you know when i the bridge used for settlement is like different from like like Fillers can use any bridge they want to like move liquidity around. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they could use centralized exchanges, they could use bridges, whatever. Um, but then, like each trade does have a specific bridge, or, or, or what I, you know, what we use, we use the term settlement oracle, right? Which is, which is, can be any bridge. It could also technically be any other system. You could technically use like a multi-sig or a governance system mm -hmm. or a single party if you wanted. If you wanted to, you could also trust the filler. If you like, are like, I trust the filler, and then <laughs> like you could trust them to be, and they could be the, and then you say say anything that they say happen. Like technically, you could do whatever you want. Right. Um, you just need some system yeah. to say that yeah. yes, that set, that yeah. trade that swap and, was fulfilled. And this protocol is like completely agnostic to that system. It right. like can support any possible system. We have like. You know, initial smart contract designs that like work with like, uh, you know, as I mentioned, like the the mainnet to you know, like the canonical uh, L two bridges for Optimism, Arbitrum, Polygon. We have a design that works with like the Circle bridge, um, mm -hmm. but it, it can really work with all the other every bridge you hear about in the space. Like theoretically, you could have like an adapter that could use that bridge, and then bridges are competing on like offering security and latency for like passaging passage passing messages, and not like. You know, having like billions of dollars of liquidity stored in them passively, mm -hmm. which is like real, you know, which is like a security risk, and right. we've seen how that plays out. Um, I, I just again, the the theme of this whole thing is seems to be harnessing complexity, and Uniswap X, the naming also I think is intuitive because we have Uniswaps one through four, 
right? Which are AMMs. And again, Uniswap, Uniswap X is not an AMM. It is a order router, an order optimizer. And so we have all of this expressive liquidity protocols that we call AMMs, Uniswaps one through four. And then we have this other expressive order fulfillment service called Uniswap X. It really kind of seems to be like a yin and a yang, like two sides of the same coin, where if you smash these things together, now you have Uniswap. That is Uniswap, right? Right, right. yeah, I'd say that like, this is definitely like a moment, and it's not the first moment, but it is a moment where like, Uniswap, Uniswap as an ecosystem can like, step slightly beyond what it's done and, you know, and kind of continue pushing into to new territory. But like, def yeah, definitely- New like, frontiers, please. New, new frontiers, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd I say that like definitely the you know the the end goal right is we want to create like decentralized markets and we want you know um, t today right people use decentralized markets because they are decentralized mm -hmm. but they don't but there's like a trade off right like the user the user experience is still a little bit worse like they still like it's still not as efficient there's still not as much liquidity it's still you know like you you kind of like people use it like despite the flaw the the the, the but we think that like in the long run. Like decentralized markets can actually be like more powerful and stronger and like have better user experience and you know more efficient market structures, um, right? Like you know we speak to like like even like when you think about like a market-based approach to something versus like a single company that's trying to like you know optimize for you know for you, right? Like moving into these models, we just think that like um, you know. And, and using also like all these like new tricks that we've learned in blockchains and with crypto, you know, new novel cryptography, and eventually we'll have like Z, you know, better zk tech, and like mm -hmm. that's going to be a part of the story. Like th this is like a first step. That's that's a really important thing I want to get across. Like like building like we want to build like the ultimate kind of like fill you know decentralized kind of mm -hmm. order flow you know network and. There's like a broader industry around us that are also is also working on these problems. We want to do it like collaboratively, right? Like teams like you know like Flashbots, etc. Like like there's like all these other teams that are also working towards like how do we like decentralize order flow and and this is like part of that story, but I think it's a really big moment for the industry because Uniswap is because, because in part because like of how dominant Uniswap is from a like tr you know in terms of like volume and users, right? Like something like probably like thirty plus percentage of all gas on, on mm -hmm. Ethereum is Uniswap <laughs> trades. And it's a and I guarantee it's a higher num percentage of MEV. Right. Um, because you know Uniswap trades generate more MEV right. than transfers. And right. so it might, you know, and so like like having, you know, uh, like I, I think that like Uniswap like us kind of stepping into space like and like is is like really important for kind of helping push the industry forward. And also like having users and like being able to like learn from them and and kind of optimize and improve you know, for real people that are, are really transacting, like, is, is like, really uh, useful and important. Uh, and, and uh, you know, again, we're, like, really excited to do it collaboratively. And, like, um, and, you know, if, if these other kind of, like, models also end up working out, like, things like Suave, like, could, like, f you know, be directly tied into things like, you know, Uniswap X. Like, they're, they're not, like, also automatically competitive. We're all kind of, like, working towards, like, decentralized order flow um, generally. Mm -hmm. So what's the rollout plan for Uniswap X? How does it, yes. it get started today, Monday the 17th? Yeah, today, uh, Monday the 17th. <laughs> um, uh, it's actually Sunday, but yeah. for us, but for you guys who are hearing this on Monday, uh, what, what's, what's the rollout plan? How does this actually launch? Yeah, so today what we have is the, the you know, single chain mainnet variant mm -hmm. um, is in like an early kind of opt-in beta stage, meaning that when you make a transaction, you know, when you go to the Uniswap web app, you can go into settings and you can turn it on. You can also just like make transactions. And if there's a transaction that, you know, the, the interface thinks you will get a better price if you use Uniswap X or, or if not a better price, like it's, it's like, or, and I, I think again, it's like, this is like the, the 
first, like it's, it's sort of like an early beta. And so it's like, um, uh, yeah, you know, it will suggest it to you and you can turn it on. Even once you've turned it on, it doesn't mean 100% of trades will route through it. It's actually going to be like a, probably like a smaller percentage of trades, only like certain tokens, only certain, um, you know, trade sizes, only mm -hmm. certain pairs, only certain, you know, like it's, it's, this is again, like the, like the earliest beta rollout. We want to really like test the system before we, you know, rolled out to more user, to like a full user base. Uh, and for like you know all orders and so and you know so so you know today what we have is a working system for the mainnet version um, and the ability to opt in and have some percentage of your trades execute through it. Uh, when you do, you will see that your orders now no longer cost gas. There's some minor UX tweaks that show like this order that there's like mm -hmm. no gas mm -hmm. being paid. Uh, it will be a signature instead of a transaction. Um, when the transaction is pending, you don't you can't go to EtherScan because the transaction hash hasn't been created because it's just an off-chain signature. Mm -hmm. So there's like a few things. Um, it's kind of like a slow rollout. We really like, you know, this is like a big moment and a big change in a, in a, in a complex protocol. And we want to like optimize parameterization. We want to give time for, you know, you know, a competitive marketplace only exists once people join it. Actually participate. And so yeah. we have like some, you know, a little bit of work to onboard some initial kind of uh, fillers as, to help like test the system. But like we really want to give time for more people to onboard and interact before, you know, before it becomes like the, the full thing. Mm -hmm. And so, this is like an early version. And now in terms of like the cross-chain variant, um, unclear. We, we have smart contracts right now, like stuff like parameterization, you know, how long it will take fillers to start to integrate cross-chain. Um, they're still probably like, going to have to wrap their head around the single-chain variant, and that will take some time, um, as well as like the front-end um, considerations of cross-chain trading. There's like some other changes that probably need to be made to like let you swap you know, between different chains, like in terms of how we handle network connection and other things. So we're starting to like work on improvements in our web app today that like make it more multi-chain native. If you look at our wallet, our wallet is very like handles multi-chain very cleanly, and our web mm -hmm. app is like not quite there. And so, like as we're like optimizing the single-chain variant, we're going to start like optimizing our web app to be better for for multi-chain generally. And then you know, hopefully, like later this year, um, we have you know the the cross-chain variant uh, mm -hmm. in in our web app as well, and people will be able to make you know trades. But uh, yeah. What uh, service providers or or uh, what other people infrastructure is needed in order to actually get this thing up and rolling? Like who do you, who do you need to hear from? Who do you need to get onboarded? Yeah, I'd say that like uh, you know a lot of it already is like 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 you know swappers just need to use the web app as, as normal. Liquidity providers just need to create liquidity in the Uniswap protocol as normal. Um, I'd say that like what's new is there are definitely fillers and uh, there's sort of you know initially like uh, there's initially just like an API that broadcasts. You know orders, and and so in, integrating that and being able to like fill orders, uh, you know, there's already like there's all, all these like people that do block building that can start tapping into that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need fillers to start discovering orders. Uh, also, um, you know, for the RFQ variant, uh, definitely there, there's a need of like people who provide quotes up front. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's about it. I'd say that like probably like wallets having like good UX around signature-based orders will help. Mm -hmm. um, they all mm -hmm. have signatures and like other. Sites have done like signature-based orders before, but the more like the wallets can be aware of like the UX implications of, of this, the better. Um, uh, you know, that's about. It. I, I'd say that like people can start like you know looking at the, the cross-chain smart contracts and thinking about how to build adapters for other bridges if they wanted. If, if devs want to get in, involved in that, um, uh, generally like infrastructure around you know alternative like. Uh, so a cool thing is that like. When a user signs an order, they're incentivized to like broadcast that order as broadly as possible. They want as many fillers to discover that as possible. Similarly, if you're a filler, you want uh, to discover as many orders as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, having like redundancy at the like broadcasting layer, like you know, like today we have mempools and whatever for Ethereum transactions, like 
having like alternate like you know APIs for hosting signed orders, stuff like that can could, could be helpful or interesting. But I think over time there'll be like it won't just you know there won't just be like one API for hosting these signed orders, right? And and that's not the goal. So you know things that like help further the the, the decentralization and um, I guess is, is also desired. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That, that's it's a bunch of stuff. That's a, that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, surrounding infrastructure. Uh, again, a lot of moving parts, a lot of complexity, but also protocols that harness complexity is kind of a core theme of not just the Uniswap in the last year or so, but really crypto at large. I would say, uh, Hayden, it's been a crazy year for Uniswap in 2023. You got the mobile wallet, Uniswap v4, now Uniswap X. Uh, is there? I mean, we're only halfway through the year. Are you going to be on again before the end of the year? I think I'll be on. I'm expecting two to three more times in uh, 2023. Probably. Two oh days. my God! What else is coming? You know, we got uh, we got some we got some things lined up. Um, I can show you uh, privately after this. <laughs> after this. <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, apparently, Bankless Nation, you can hold your breath because Hayden Adams uh, will be back from more Uniswap releases. Uh, just the absolute juggernaut in 2023. Hayden, thank you for being just such, such a strong bear market builder and really pushing the, the space forward. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on, and, and you know, always love coming on Bankless. And yeah, we, you know, we're trying to decentralize finance. So yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> and we're doing it a little bit jet lagged at the very start yes. of ECC. Uh, yes. Both Hayden and I landed uh, coming from the East Coast. Uh, just a, a number of hours ago. So yeah. uh, that's aping into ECC with the podcast. Hayden, thank you so much for joining me on Bankless today. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Bankless Nation, you know the deal. Crypto is risky. DeFi is risky. Uniswap X is a brand new protocol. It's probably also risky too, just because all things are. You can lose what you put in. We are headed west, however. Uh, it's not for everyone, but we are glad you are with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. <laughs>